Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. All right, so welcome to King's Church. There's two things we really care about here. They seem very basic, very fundamental. The Spirit of God and the truth of God's Word. You know, how odd that that's a bizarre thing to pursue both. And the reason it's bizarre, because it's hard. And it's like the Spirit people, they always want to get crazy and talking about making love to God every Sunday. And I'm just like, awesome, great. Where is that in the New Testament again? Oh, it's so, okay. It's an analogy in Song of Solomon. Okay, let's talk about that once every couple of years. That's not an every Sunday's topic. You know, Jesus was never saying, I want to make love with God. Uh, you know, there's intimacy with God. Anyway, then the truth side comes in. And truth God is like, never analogize Song of Solomon. So we're trying to do a little both here. Spirit of God, believe in prayer. Nothing will happen if you don't pray for it. No one will ever get healed if you don't pray for them. No one will ever get saved if you don't evangelize. That's how it goes. People get comfortable and they don't want to stretch out and they want to be intellectual and sophisticated and not get embarrassed by trying to do things, stepping out in faith. And so we want to do that. But we also want to be hemmed in by the word of God. Amen? We want order and structure. We're not just doing this for a flash in the plan. We want to be led by God's word and his way. And so I'm, I'm, I'm considering right now in my mind the Lord's Prayer and what Jesus, kind of as the central declaration spiritually to God, teaching the saints how to pray. And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, he doesn't say, God, I want, I want your environment. I just want your atmosphere, just the atmosphere of heaven sincere. No, it's, he says the word kingdom is the word he uses, which implicates buildings and order and structure and governance and things getting done and not being escapists and not being Trappist monks, but actually a kingdom implicates things. Joseph Choi running for Congress in Queens. Praise God, it's going to happen. I prophetically declare it. He already called me and told me it's going to happen. I don't know if this is the official announcing. Don't tell anybody. It's confidential right now. But I just I so love Joseph and his heart to see the kingdom of God come to New York City and wrestle it from the godless atheist pedophiles. They're not all pedophiles, but a couple are. We all know that. That's where you laugh. Ha, ha, ha. He's serious. Ha, ha, ha. But he's serious. Because Jesus is saying, I want your kingdom to come, God. This is, he's telling disciples, this is how I want you to pray. Not just your feeling. And feeling is important. We need feeling. Amen. I'll take some feeling, you know, in a little pill with Xanax. I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not, not into psychotropics. Do away with them. But I'm into building for, the, for my children and my children's children. And I'm just, I, I just like the, the, the patriarch story, Abraham, right? That story, the, the burden of his heart was for children and children's children. And the promise that broke his heart was, God, would you give me a son and children and legacy? And that I could, and then God's like, oh yeah, I'm not just going to give you that. It's going to be stars in the heaven. And we don't, we want to be the star in the heaven, and I'm like, I'm done with that narcissism. I want to build for my children and my children's children. That they would be the stars in the heavens, not me. Welcome to King's Church. 
Verse 14, hey, let's jump into Zechariah. I preached this in Miami last week, and I feel like it's a seasonal word. It's important for our church, and so here it goes. Verse 14, pretty apocalyptic. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south. Yes, yes. Back in black is raging on the speakers. Jesus coming. Probably not back in black. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. And that's just incredible. The psalm talks about God being aroused like a mighty warrior, enraged with wine. You ever meet one of those guys? Like, they're irrational. They're going to destroy the people that oppose them, irrationally, with chaos rage. It says... um, They will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Who will be? The people of God will be. How beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women And this is, I love this verse, they will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. And so this book, Zechariah, is a book where this guy, he's a prophet, his name is Zechariah, he's contemporaries with a guy named Haggai, and this is a prophet speaking to the people. Now there's three kind of primary ways to interpret this book. One is the historical context. Zechariah was literally talking about the people of Israel in this time where they were slaves in Babylon. And this guy, Cyrus the king, he's going to arise. That's his name. Cyrus, he's the Persian king, and the Persians are about to wipe out Babylon. And so the timeline of the kingdoms of the earth are going like this. Babylon, Persia, Greeks take over, Romans, Christ comes, and, you know, Rome, 400 AD, kind of dissipates, and then the West is built, and then us, we come later. And so this is the Persian Empire, right before Greeks, Aristotle, Plato, Romans, Jesus showing up. This is this time frame, 500 years BC, and the, and the people of God, because of their sin and wickedness, turning away from God, they've been slaves They've been subjugated. They've had taken the lowest class in the society, the place with the least influence. I'm talking the Hallmark Channel right now. I'm talking the bottom of the bottom. (laughs) It's pretty bad, Sincere. The Hallmark Channel is pretty horrific. But I'm kind of not joking, if you know what I'm saying. Like the place with the least influence over a culture, the slaves of the culture, the people that are mocked and jeered with the least power and the least prominence because of their sin, because of turning away from God, he has allowed them to become the heel. That's what's happened right here. What a great word this is. <laughs> I love it so much, Eric. The people of God are the heel. They're mocked. Their Christianity is a joke. It's foolish. Their babbling in tongues is a monkey language for morons that bang each other on the heads with Bibles. They're all inbred morons. They don't believe in evolution. 
do not dare allow them in, in public office, the Christian nationalists will probably try to gouge out our eyes. I mean, it's, I, I see such a strong parallel with the church in America today and the people of Israel that were enslaved at that time. So there's a historical context. And, and Zechariah is prophesying, and he says, this really incredible thing is about to happen. Not because of your great repentance, not because of your incredible righteousness, but because God remembers his covenants, he's going to rescue you and lift you up again. And you're going to build the city of God and the temple of God once again. The other guys are going to be preaching eschatological terror by night. Don't build for tomorrow because tomorrow will not come. It's all, it's all downhill from here. The Chinese are coming. They're going to chip us all in the forehead. I mean, that's, that's millions of Christians believe that because they've, they've felt like the slave, the heel. It's just getting darker and worse. And the promise of God, the prophetic promise, comes through Zechariah. And Zechariah says, God is coming like a mighty warrior in victory to rebuild his house and to rebuild his city. There's um, this historical context which literally happens, yeah? Second context is uh, the messianic context. There's just an incredible... Zechariah is one of the books that um, Jews that are not messianic, that don't believe in Christ, really don't like because he comes riding in as, on a colt, right? His hands are pierced for us. He's led like a lamb to the slaughter. There's all of this exactly precise messianic prophecy about Jesus being the victor, the great one that rescues us from the slavery of hell and death which is the worst kind, right? Because there's particular parts, particular stages of our life, particular stages of our country, but there's the ultimate existential stage where sin and death is your ultimate master that you're a slave of. Unless Jesus comes, you're done for, baby. Eternally done for, right? Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, shout. And I love, the, I love the daughter language because it implicates the tenderness of God's heart towards his people. Daughter, Jerusalem, see your king comes to you. And it's duplicated in Zechariah 9. See, it says daughter twice in a row to emphasize the tenderness of the heart of God towards his people. And there's this, again, contrast, spirit of truth, the power of God, roaring, drunkard, lunatic warrior to destroy his enemies, his love and tenderness towards the people of God. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then verse 15, it says, And the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with saints. This is earlier. I read this earlier. It says, They will drink and roar as with wine, and they will be full like a bowl. There's a translation. There's an old, there, are, there were old translations of the Hebrew Scripture into Aramaic during Jesus' day. And I can't remember the name. It's something weird, the Tarmagu or something like that. And it translates this scripture, they will shine like blood upon the walls of the temple. Like, what a, what a great name of a metal band, Brandon. 
They will shine like blood. It's like there's this imagery as it's translated to the Aramaic that we're shining like jewels, but we've been washed and redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And they capture that in the Aramaic before Christ is crucified. It's an incredible fulfillment of prophecy about us as sons and daughters. And then finally, we have this third context, which this portion, this passage applies. It's the us application, right? So there's the historical, it actually did happen. There's the messianic to all believers at all times. And then I believe the us application, and we can see that that's allowed here. Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Romans 4, 23, again, the same thing. Now the words... It was credited to him were not only for Abraham, but also for us. And so we see the Old Testament scripture and prophecy is applicable not just in this grand messianic sense, not just in the particular historical sense, but also in the right now, America. Well, God, what do you have for us and your people that are here, that have been the slaves, that have been the heels, that have felt passed over? Is it escapism, God? Should we just be buying like 20 gallons of rice and hiding out in, a, in, a, in a, a, a dumpster that we hid? What is that called that I'm trying to say? Bunker. There it is. It's New York life. We don't have bunkers. We have dumpsters. <laughs> so this is what my prophetic word is for 2024, for the next season. I don't even want to say for 2024. For the next season. I believe that God is coming in massive victory in the lives of the believer massive victory like we haven't seen in 70 years. I truly believe it. If you know what America was like in 1970, we were just being sated by our own wealth. We, in the 1940s, we win the world wars, and then what we do right after that is we create uh, NAFTA, North American Trade Organization, when we, we protect all the seas and we start trading with other nations and we become the richest nation in the world overnight. In 10 years, we are exploding with wealth and that continues. Um, about 70 years ago, a, a lot of things that I think are significant happened. I don't want to sound like a, a weirdo prophet. Just look into it and I think there's a shift that happens with the church and the nation. Televisions start becoming really our primary moral voice in our home. The church starts, be, uh, the, 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 the pulpits start being dissipated and watered down, focusing on prosperity for you as opposed to uh, you as a conduit to build the house of God and the city of God. And then, and then obviously we know what happens in the 60s, all, all goes to hell in the 60s. 64, we kick God out of schools, we say prayer is not allowed, sorry, it's illegal, we're going to arrest you now. You know, 69, we have sexual anarchy proliferated, really exploding across colleges and universities. And now, we chop the body parts off of little girls and boys, because that's going to sexually liberate them. And we live in a, a freakish Frankenstein culture because the church has lost her voice and has stopped guiding morally the conscience of the culture. And it's like, okay, this is my favorite part about the Christmas story, is that the people were not just wrapping up a 40-day fast and then Jesus decides to come. It says, and God remembered. He heard the cry of his people, their slavery. The Christmas story, the the absence of his voice, the pain of the people of God, and he remembered his covenants 
and he loves his people tenderly like a father loves his daughter. And then he snaps. <laughs> like a warrior drunk with wine going on a rampage for the people of God, for victory for the people of God. I believe 2024 and a, and a season is shifting and there's going to be massive victory for the people of God. And if you don't want to believe that and you want to believe, sorry, David, you know, the Russians are coming. They have sleeper cells all over and oh, we got to get more rice. Rock and roll. Go do that. Go find another church and do it. Because here we're going to build the city of God and the house of God. Amen. And I don't want to just give a real quick scriptural precedent for my belief. Because this is not me versus somebody I'm right and somebody else is wrong. But Isaiah 9-7 says this about Christ and his kingdom. Uh, when he shows up, this is what it says. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end until 2022, and then there will be an end to the increase, and then the sleeper cells will get us, and we will start losing desperately, and the Antichrist will arise. Obama will, uh, will create clones of Obama, and he will be the Antichrist cloned governor in every state. And there will no longer be an increase of his government and peace. There will be a crazy decrease. And they will arrest all the Christians and probe them like alien probes to all the Christians. So I'm sorry. Sorry. Sorry for doing that. That's just not what the Bible says, my friend. It doesn't say, and then we're all going to die and lose. And I'm sorry if you read that somewhere. But Isaiah 9, over the declaration of Jesus and his kingdom, it says, of the increase of his kingdom and government. That doesn't mean there's not horrible things. You remember World War II a few minutes ago? There are still horrible things. But the overall plan of God is that the increase of his governance and peace, there will be no end. Matthew 13, 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And, and let me just sell, say this to you. If you feel like, man, in my younger years, I was really pursuing God and really growing, and now I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to go, I guess I'm going to coast for the next 30. That is not of the nature of the kingdom of God. The increase of his peace in your life and his rulership in your life that is the plan of God. Verse 32, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and actually becomes a tree so that the birds of the air perch in its branches. And so then we have this picture, whether you want to buy this or not, you know, is literally God speaking, that the that Jesus plants the seed and it grows bigger than everything on the whole earth and then you see things from heaven coming and landing down on the tree. Whether you believe that or not, that's fine. I mean, I just made it up this morning, so. <laughs> but it sounds good. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. It's God's word. And the increase of his kingdom is what he's interested in. And people that have, would have faith to increase his kingdom. I like names. I'm a name guy. I, if I sit down with a new person, I, I find out what their name means. I like to look 
if I'm remembering. I like to look at my phone, I look it up. I was hanging out with this guy, this special forces guy, very ripped, very cool guy, just recently came to Christ, and I'm just so pumped for him. And he killed lots of people, and so I love him even more. And his name means, his name means like Wolf King or something awesome like that. Like, I don't even think that has biblical significance, but I love it, you know? Just, I love that name. Um, my name, last name, Engelhart, people always uh, think it means angelic heart, like H-E-A-R-T. And it does not mean that. And I was at the airport a couple of days ago having a discussion with the TSA agent about this, actually. It's like, that's a great last name, Hart. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The word, the H-A-R-D, it's H-A-R-D, hard, with a T at the end, hard. And um, it means stone angel, or angel that kills people, like, like the Wolf King. <laughs> you know? Zachariah's name means God remembers. And so Zachariah shows up on the scene when they're slaves, when they're the heel of Babylon, when they haven't been perfectly righteous. And his name means God remembers his people. And his, the declaration of Zechariah is God remembers his covenants with his people. He will not abandon you to the medical tyrannical state. He will not abandon you, abandon you to the QAnon theories. He will not abandon you to secularism. God will not abandon his people. He's not giving up. You're not going to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. From here on out, of the increase of his government and kingdom, there will be no end. I just scared a guest with that yell, but you know, what what are you going to do? Verse 3, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1, check this out. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And so Satan is accusing the people of God. Why? As you'll see here, they're filthy. They're dirty. They're consumed with their own stuff. They're in slavery still, and they still really haven't repented, even though everything is falling apart around them. Because obviously God's intention is like, you're going to go through pain, and I want your heart to turn. That's the idea. You know, it's two things that change the condition of humans, pain or pleasure. Right? Take your pick. It would be pleasure if we were wiser. For most of us, if you're like me, it's pain, right? He showed me Joshua. In verse 3, it says this, Now Joshua is dressed in filthy clothes. Now, Joshua is the high priest of the people of Israel. He's the guy that's supposed to be okay. He's like, not supposed to be filthy. Joshua, the high priest of the people, is in filthy clothes. And um, I think we have a church with, uh, by and large, you know, pastors who um, are so, their garments are soiled. I, I was talking to a guy. This is you're gonna you're not going to believe this, 
was talking to a guy about a, a, an acquaintance that he knows that he said, this guy who's a, a leader going to take a church is trying to sleep with a hundred women, his, not his wife, to get back at God for some situation. Like, in line to be a pastor at a large church. And, and um, Christians are filthy. The things they watch are filthy. The things they fill their spirit with are filthy. The things they consume are filthy. They don't really share the gospel ever. I mean, they're, freak, they're freaks if they share the gospel. They're like in the top echelon of a half, a half, a half percent. Like, Christians are terrified to even share their faith. And so because we don't preach anymore, the world preaches for us. And it preaches sin and hell and gender confusion and chaos. And then you try to say something that says, don't you dare push your religion down to me. I had somebody say that to me on Instagram yesterday. Don't, stop pushing your religion down my throat. And I said, stop pushing your godless atheism down my throat. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. The priest, Joshua, the priest represents the people. And there's, a, there's this kind of a mirroring situation that's going. The priest is supposed to represent the people before God. The priest's clothes are filthy. And God says, now it's time. I'm changing everything. I'm coming in as your hero and your victor. And I'm purifying you. And it says, this is a crazy verse. Uh, I'm going to jump to 410. I'm sorry. Yeah. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, who has chosen, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is not this man, Joshua, a brand snatched from the fire? And, and it's just as simple as this. God is saying, I have put Israel in the fire. I have. It was my hand that did it. And if you know Revelation, third chapter, God says to Laodicea, the rich, the apathetic, the lukewarm, I'm going to put you in the fire. And what is the fire? It's pain. It's opposition. It's losing. It's feeling like you're falling behind over and over and over again. And it's like, oh, God, it's not my fault. It's the system's fault. No, it's your fault. It's sin. And, um, and, and God says this to the accuser who's rightly accusing the brethren. Is this not a brand that I have snatched from the fire? And a brand is made to mark things. In this case, to mark the earth for the city of God and the house of God. And the fire is burning, and you're in it, and I've been in it, and it's painful and hot. And God says, I'm snatching that brand from the fire, from the chaos of their sin and death, and I'm going to use it to mark the earth. The high priest who is dirty. Is this good? Verse 7, this is the Lord, what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience before me when he snatches you from the fire, 
and keep my requirements, then you will govern in my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you place among these standing here. This promise is paralleled in the book of Revelation to the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm, the apathetic. Jesus says this, to those I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent, and, and repent. Verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit down with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. I mean, that's the same language from Zechariah, that you will rule with me in my courts. And that is, I mean, do you understand the incredible victory in Christ for people that were slaves in bondage, bound to their sin and death, the heel of a society that God says, I'm going to take you from there, sprinkling you with my blood because I remember my covenants and I'm going to take you and seat you with me to rule and reign. Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Zechariah 4.10. So you're like, all right, David, that sounds cool. You, you yell well. I like the yelling. That's good. You have a good last name. But it's a tiny church in the middle of a city of 8 million. This is not real. This is, this is, this is how pastors get money from people. Okay, let's all go. Let's leave now. And this is what I love about Zechariah. This is my, the, ver, the most famous scripture in this book. Do not despise the small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin and to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And Zerubbabel is, he's brought back and he's a provincial governor over the land. He's of God's people. And a plumb line is used, it has a weight at the bottom of it, and it's used to set the foundation straight. And God's like, I'm calling people back to build the foundation of the house of God and the city of God. And it's the work that's usually despised. Like, you know about foundations. You don't know because you live in New York City. But other houses outside of the city have foundations. And then people normally cover them with bushes or shrubbery because it's the part you don't even want to see. It's the ugly part. It's not the inside. It's not the tile. It's not the beautiful parts. It's the part where the house isn't even there yet. And it says this, see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Do not despise the day of small beginnings because God is rejoicing to see the work begin. Listen, it's really easy to jump on the bandwagon later in the game. It's an amazing house, like once the shutters are going up. It doesn't look amazing when the foundation is getting poured. And God is asking his people prophetically through Zechariah, believe in my victory that you will sparkle in the land and then he says, it's okay that it's just a plumb line right now. It's okay that it looks small right now. It's the foundation of something magnificent. Worship team, you can come up. I want to share this last scripture, Zechariah 3.9. It says, for behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua. And this is the stone, again, it's talking about the foundations. He's building city of God, temple of God. Zechariah 3.9, for behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove 
And I, I think sometimes we, we, especially if you've been around Christianity for a while, we say, God, could you do something amazing like this? I've heard these promises before, and I, I just, they like, I'm getting old now. I think because we get confused because it starts with the foundation, and we give up because the foundation doesn't look like the house. But look at this promise here. It says this, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And so I put before Joshua a stone with seven eyes. What is it, the stone? The stone is Christ as the chief cornerstone. And what are the seven eyes on that stone? That's weird. That sounds like, like, a, like a, a pet rock or something weird. Googly eyes on a stone. The, the seven eyes represent God's perfect sight. Everything you've ever, ever done, every mistake you've ever made, every lie you've ever told, every dark closet secret, he has perfect vision. The stone that calls you has seen everything you've ever done, all of your failings, yet he still calls you. Perfect vision. And then it says this. It says, I will engrave on its inscription and I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. Isaiah 49, 16, it says, See, I have engraved on you, on the palm of your hands. Your walls are ever before me. And then Psalm 22, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me, and they pierce my hands. And the engraving on the stone was the piercing on the hands of Jesus. They were engraved for you, the chief cornerstone who has perfect vision, who's seen everything you've ever done, and every sin, and every piece of brokenness, and every family curse, and all of the history. With his vision, he yet still was he engraved and pierced for you. There's a, there's a little bit of theological debate about this next point, but some, many scripture, uh, Christian scholars say that the name of God in Hebrew, the tetramagran, um, if you break the letters apart, the name of God is four characters, and the characters say, see the hand, see the nail. And then in the very name of God, our redemption the carving of the stone, the piercing of the sun would be in the center. That we would rebuild the house of God. That Luke 11, 11, that the kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth like it is in heaven. Not to escape as the heel, but to rise in victory after a son who is king. That's what God has for you. Amen, church. Stand up with me. Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Acts 20.27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text... 
KC NYC to 77977 and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world so believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.